Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. You listen to Green, Green. you might turn red. red. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. There's uh, Donald Trump's number one fan, Roy Green Show, Chorus Radio Network. We're talking about media. And yes, he is. Uh, and uh, whether or not it's fake news that comes out of your speakers and fake news that is representative of what the bosses think. And I, so I get email, you know. So Why would you think that? Well, let me read it to you. Let me read it to you. What am I because one person in an executive position makes such a statement, you must tar all executives of that organization with the same brush. With such logic, it's no wonder you're a Trump supporter. So then I replied, thinking isn't one of your strong points, eh? Uh, Florence sends this email, the person who causes our jobs is Christy. Now I can't read what Florence wrote, because I'll be in trouble. I'll be in trouble. I have voted liberal provincially always. Right now, I think John Horgan is doing the best he can with the mess he inherited, and I'd be happy to speak to that bloke. She has cost British Columbians billions. I know what I would do with her. The reason I sometimes switch off CKNW, especially you, I get to set my hair on fire. Keep up the good work. Florence. Had me scared there for a minute, Florence. You really did. Uh, Jane Kirtley is, <laughs> I like that email. Jane Kirtley is the Silhaw Professor of Media Ethics and the Law at the University of Minnesota. She uh, does a lot of work with Canadian media as well and is very familiar with media in this country as well as, of course, her own and media globally. Uh, Jane, thank you. It's always great speaking with you, and I'd like your thoughts. First of all, let me just, before we come up with any examples, is there a case to be made? that what comes out of the speakers, whether it's radio or television, I hate to use the term these days, but these days is fake news, that, a, that an appreciable percentage of it is fake news. Yes or no? Um, I don't know what we mean by appreciable percentage. I think there is a percentage that is fake news. And, and how do we define fake news? How would, how would one of your students maybe define fake news? Well, it's interesting because we've been talking about that in my ethics class the last week or so. Um, I think, you know, my students would say fake news is 
information that is not truthful information that is disseminated for the purposes of deceiving. And I, th- I mean, I hope they would say something along those lines. And the reason that I add all those kind of qualifying phrases is because certainly it's true that the mainstream media, however we define it, um, do make mistakes, um, do publish or broadcast things that are not verifiable or are proven to be false. But the distinction for me is whether you're setting out to deceive or whether you deceive you know, as a byproduct of making an error. And then, of course, if you correct that mistake, if that's the case, and I don't call that fake news, Mm -hmm. I call it the kind of errors that media have been making since time immemorial and will continue to make forever. There is a certain amount of pressure that goes along with having to deliver instantly. There's a certain amount of pressure that, that says, my listeners or my viewers need this information now. So we'll do everything we can to verify this, but we're going to go with it. And Absolutely. I, I agree with that. I think, you know, uh, my co-author and I on an, an ethics textbook we wrote talked a lot about this perceived need for speed and the 24-7 news cycle that everybody's dealing with compounded by social media really does exert tremendous pressure on journalists to, uh, you know, post, tweet, you know, do something virtually minute by minute, and inevitably that means a lot of the stuff they publish in that way is not yet verified and may turn out to be false. So that's the that's the social media angle of things, and that takes me to the conversation that I was referencing in an email. And it had to do, the email had to do with the vice president of legal affairs for CBS, who was fired because of her posting that she was, quote, not even sympathetic, end quote, and then to the victims of Las Vegas massacre, um, the massacre there, quote, because country music fans often are Republican, end quote. She was fired for that. And and the email that I received suggested that what that, this is the person's opinion who wrote the email, not mine, that the opinion of the person at the top of the ladder, as it were, the corporate ladder, will filter down to the people who are in front of the camera or behind the microphone, and it will begin to reflect what they do on air or I suppose if we get off the broadcast media, go to print, what they print, because they want to be, um, they want to, they want to reflect what they think their bosses believe, and I suppose that's the old, you know, cover your backside approach to things. Um, I'm not quite sure where I'm going with this, but she lost her job over the Facebook posting. Did she lose, in fact, uh, did she uh, did, did deserve to lose her job? And do you think there is an attitude behind the camera and behind the microphone or in front of the camera that says, I think my boss feels this way, so I better feel this way on the air? Well, I think there are a couple of distinct issues here. First of all, um, this was uh, one of many uh, in-house counsel that CBS has. I know a lot of the lawyers that work in the media because I'm a lawyer myself. This is not an individual with whom I was, I'm was i familiar, which you know doesn't mean anything in and of itself, but I know a lot of the lawyers that are in-house, and she's not one that I know. Number two, I would say it would be very unusual for lawyers to set editorial policy or even have much input in editorial policy. That's, that's not what lawyers are there to do. They're there to make sure you're in compliance with the Federal Communications Commission regulations. They're there to make sure you're not uh, engaging in libelous speech, things like that. But they don't set editorial standards. Now, I can't say she isn't reflecting something she's heard from her bosses, but nevertheless, well, that's I would say this is 
Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's really, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with CBS's decision to fire her. I think that news organizations struggle a lot with how much of a presence their employees should have on social media in general. And one of the reasons for that is because they will sometimes think, say things unfiltered that reflect back on the news entity, CBS News in this case, and are not consistent with the um, views of, of that company. Again, we can't know all the answers to that, but I think it was a very ill-advised thing to do. I mean, I was shocked that a lawyer would do something like that um, simply because that kind of comment, either you know, pro or con on, on social media, is simply not consistent, I'm sure, with CBS News' standards and practices. No. One of the, and I haven't said this yet in this hour, um, Jane, but one of the reasons I think that news stories can be picked apart, not all the time, but can be picked apart, because quite often there are people with not a tremendous amount of experience delivering the product. And so they don't have the experience, they don't have the, the knowledge that goes along, you know, that experience provides you. They don't have examples that they can use to cross-reference if they're in a hurry, uh, you know, in their brains. And so I think one of the reasons that it sounds wrong and turns out wrong at times is because the person who's delivering it just doesn't have a lot of experience. And that's what editors are for. That's what um, editors you know, are for, yep. You know, young journalists, uh, you know, are, of course they can't have the frame of reference that somebody that's been in the business for 30 years would have, but that's why you have a layer of yep. editors yep. Uh, to protect them from themselves. Right. Yep. So are we better at what we do now? Uh, and and is, it, is it an ethical issue? Is it a question of ethics at all? Are we better at delivering news, more news, more information uh, than we were 20 years ago, and how much of a responsibility is there on the person who is consuming the information to make sure they know what they're, they're talking about and are not just shouting at the television or the radio, you're wrong when they're wrong? To answer your second question first, I'd say it absolutely is something that consumers of news and information have a responsibility to do. We shouldn't be relying upon any one source or any two sources. There are myriad sources out there, and we ought to take advantage of the fact that we have those options available. Again, my students and I were talking about this just last week, which is, how do you corroborate what you see? And, and if it doesn't make sense, or even if it does make sense, making an effort to see if others are, are reporting the same thing before concluding that you've got it right or that they've got it right. Mm -hmm. In terms of whether we're doing a better job or not, I think, you know, to me, there, there are certain baselines in terms of, of the quality of news delivery. Accuracy is the f most important thing. Speed is inevitably the second most important thing. And as we talked about, the need for speed is undermining the first. So I think the potential is there. I mean, the ability to research things online, to contact people electronically, this is, these did not exist a few years ago. So it's one of those things where it could lead to very good things, but you know, the, just what we've seen with some of the newer social media companies, Facebook, Google's of the world, we can see that this technology is not always used for good journalism. It can be used, frankly, for propaganda, uh, for, you know, purposely trying to bias uh, results, things like that. Those are not good things, and no. I, I'm not here to support them. And one other thing I hadn't mentioned yet, and I was waiting to mention some of these issues until we got further into the hour, 
But news develops so quickly now, and news stories take on different angles and different perspectives. In the middle of telling what's, what, what you already had, I mean, what you had in front of you, so you're, re- you're reporting the news as it existed 30 seconds ago, and now something else moves that you haven't seen, but eventually the consumer is going to be aware of, and you're going to sound like the person who wasn't you know, up to speed because everything moves at such an incredible rate of speed now. It's incredibly frustrating, I think. And, you know, I, I look at a website like, say, the New York Times, for example, but you could pick any n- number of others who have a lot of reporters and are able to, you know, multiple team coverage of things like the Las, Las Vegas shooting and things like that. Mm-hmm. And they'll have all these different things. But smaller news organizations that don't have those resources, you're absolutely right. They can be left behind, not because they're not trying to do a good job, but they simply don't have the time and the resources to pursue every conceivable angle. Yeah. The, the other thing, of course, I think is that people do understandably want explanations right now when things happen, and often those unfold over a period of days, weeks, months, and it's, it's hard to kind of teach people patience when they see how instantaneously information and misinformation can spread. Right, and fake news is when an organization unethically delivers information they know to be false, and they deliver it anyway with an agenda in mind. That's fake news. Exactly. I mean, again, for me, the deception is a, is a critical factor because, you know, it, and I'm not talking about editorial decisions. I'm talking about putting out something you know isn't true and your goal is to mislead yeah. the public. Jane, always great talking to you. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you, Roy. It's a, always a pleasure. Jane Kirtley is the Silha Professor of Media Ethics and the Law at the University of Minnesota. Roy Green isn't afraid to poke the bear. The bigger the bear, the bigger the poke. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Thank you, Larry, for a great email to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. I said earlier, I'm the attack dog. Larry sends the email. Bow wow. (laughs) From Ross, I get this. I'm watching fake news right now. It's called CBC. What? What? And uh, 95% of all media, this is from Paul, uh, 95% of all media in Canada are best liberals, or at worst, NDP. I'm just reporting. It's not fake news. I'm just reporting what's in front of me. Howard sends an email to Roy at RoyGreenshow.com when Stephen Harper put forth the radical notion that we should elect our politicians. Senators in this case, most of the media reported that Harper wants to change our democracy as we know it. When Justin Trudeau tried to fix elections by going to ranked ballot, as the liberals would be the second choice for most, the media reported Trudeau is trying to modernize our democracy. That's what fake news is. And no, I don't trust the media. Says Howard, 800-263-2428 is my number. Is what you get in fake news or real news? Les is in Corning, Saskatchewan. Hey, Roy, I love your program. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Les. Uh, Say, I will say, your radio station and your colleagues, you bring it to us out in western Canada uh, all the time, and I will believe you over anybody, well, whether you, it be Les. CTV, CBC, anybody. Well, thank you. And uh, it's getting tougher and tougher for 
uh, the news media to get answers, the real answers. That's true. And it's getting tougher and tougher for uh, that that worker, say it's your worker, uh, to go in and get the real information and the... Uh, the lawyer, it's pretty well got your hands tied on what you can and can't say. There are so many sources now for one particular story. You can, with you know, you get a story and now you want to present it to your listeners or your viewers. And suddenly, as you're getting ready to present the story, another four or five different angles to that particular story are there in front of you. None of them agrees with the other one. What do you do? Well, exactly. I mean, right. What do you do? You uh, report the story well, you originally had? Do you not report it until you check out all of the, the five others? Because by the time you've checked those out, another five will have appeared. Exactly. Like, there's a whole bunch of issues that should be investigated. Yeah. And you just, you guys' hands are being tied. Uh, Bombardier, the pipeline, the cement plant, the dumping of sewer... The not no money hitting Fort McMurray. Uh, where do I and all it's going to end up? And the way the Liberal Party is hiding all this, somebody's sitting pretty well at the Manitoba Ontario border with their hand on the light switch, and they want to <laughs> shut us down out here. That we no, we'll never let, never let that happen. Les, thank you very much for your call. I have never met anybody in, in the industry, and I've been in this business all my life. I've never met anyone who intentionally misinforms. Now, over the years, I've worked with some lazy people who haven't done their homework and have just gone on babbling, and they've usually been caught right away by somebody who's listening or watching. But I have never met anyone who intentionally misinformed. Now... There's a difference between misinforming and providing opinion. What I do, people sometimes will send me emails, or you'll see it on, on Twitter perhaps. You should be neutral. No, that's not my job. My job is not to be neutral. I'm not a reporter. I'm an opinions broadcaster. So I'll present you the story, but it's going to have some of it's going to be my perspective, and I'll prevent, present you with my opinion. And then we have the phone lines to go to, and we'll also check our social media platforms to see what you're saying there. There are times when I'll say to you, as I did earlier today, look, this is about, if you want to say, uh, take on a specific perspective or defend somebody, get on the phone. I want to hear your voices. Um, I think that's it for the time that we have here. I don't have time to take another call. Although there are people waiting. No, I don't have time. I'm sorry. What we will do in the next hour, though, it's going to be all phone calls. No guests. I'll tell you about that when we come back.